0: Okay, 13 weeks is uh, 52 divided by 4, right? So it's one quarter of the year. Uh, Okay, no fancy introduction. We are almost at the end of our series on uh, Ezra. And uh, at the first sermon, uh, Pastor Chiming put up this slide, which is very busy, but it basically talks about the nation of Israel banished to Babylon, and then coming back. So there were three periods of exile, first, second, and third exile, and then 70 years of captivity, and also first, second, and third return. And uh, in the first return, it was to rebuild a house of worship. The second return is what we are talking about this morning. It is to rebuild the people of, of worship, to rebuild, to restore the worshippers. And then there was a third return, which we will talk about later in Nehemiah, about the walls of Jerusalem being rebuilt. Uh, And that will be in April. So today we are on Ezra chapter 7 and 8. Okay, this is a test for you.
1: Okay.
0: (laughs) Uh, I only want to highlight the yellow parts, are, even the yellow parts are, are going to be difficult. Um, and the yellow parts is where it repeatedly, six times in the two chapters, it talks about the hand of God. And, and that's why our title, the hand of God. What does Ezra chapters 7 and 8 talk about the hand of God? Let me just go through it quickly. First of all, King Artaxerxes of Babylon granted everything that Ezra asked for. Ezra 7 verse 6, the king granted Ezra all that he asked for the hand of the Lord, his God, was on Ezra. And then Ezra travelled that distance and arrived safely in Jerusalem. It was a four-month journey um, by donkey or by walking, I guess, mostly walking. Ezra chapter 7, verse 9. For on the first day of the first month he began to go up from Babylon, Babylonia, and on the first day of the fifth month he came to Jerusalem. For the good hand of his God was on him. And Ezra chapter 8, verse 31 also talks about that journey. Say, then we departed from the river. Hava on the 12th day of the first month, to go to Jerusalem. The hand of our God was on us, and He delivered us from the hand of the enemy, from ambushes, by the way. So that four-month journey was a very dangerous journey, but the hand of God was on him. And then, in a letter from the king, from, from King Artaxerxes, which is recorded for us now in the Bible, and this is a king who calls himself the King of Kings. He decreed that Ezra can take anyone else he liked with him to Jerusalem. He can bring all the silver and the gold that the king himself has given. And he can also, on top of that, take freewill offerings from the people. And Ezra had the freedom to spend the money as he liked. In accordance with the will of your God, Ezra. And if you need anything else, take it from the royal treasury. And on top of that, Ezra, you have tax-free status. It's like our donations to the CSC. Tax-free. You can appoint judges and magistrates. In fact, you, you set up your own civil justice system. That was in Ezra chapter 7, verse 12 to, to 26. So he had this great favour from the king, and then he started his mission to Jerusalem. And Ezra chapter 7, verse 27 says, Ezra took courage, for the hand of the Lord my God was on me, and I gathered leading men from Israel to go with me. Ezra initially thought that it was a difficult task, he was all alone, he couldn't find the people to rebuild the worshippers, the house of worship, but he eventually found 38 Levites, he found 220 temple servants, And he re-established worship in the house of God in Jerusalem, Ezra chapter eight, verse eighteen. And I believe this might be lastly, Ezra was ashamed to ask more from the king, and he he decided to fast and pray instead. Let me read to you, Ezra chapter eight, verse twenty-two. For I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us against the enemy on our way. Since we had told the king, the hand of our God is for good on all who seek him, and the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him. So we fasted and implored our God for this, and he listened to our entreaty. He was ashamed to ask for more because he was already so blessed. It's kind of like recently I read, Canadian, some 500 Canadian doctors petitioned the government because they said that they were overpaid. True. Go Google Canadian doctors. Uh, happened just recently. 500 of them signed a petition, saying yeah, you're paying us too much. Give some of the money to the nurses. Perhaps some of you will be like, Ezra, yeah, you feel the same way. I'm so blessed. and Please, please, please. Please don't pay me anymore, you know. But this was how the hand of God was on Ezra. But I also asked, why was King Artaxerxes so good to Ezra and to the Jews? Well, I think Pastor Jimin covered a bit of that in the first sermon. There's Persian politics, it was the way of them gaining favor, but I can detect quite strongly. Artaxerxes' self-interest in it. It was partly his own insurance policy. Um, Ezra chapter 7, verse 23 says, whatever is decreed by the God of heaven, this is Artaxerxes talking, let it be done in full for the house of the God of heaven, lest his wrath be against the realm of the king and his sons. Uh, just in case, let me give you all these things in case the wrath of God will be upon me and upon my sons. And in Ezra chapter 7, verse 26, whoever will not obey the law of your God and the law of the king, obey the law of your God and obey my law, let judgment be strictly executed on him, whether for death or for banishment or for confiscation of his goods or for imprisonment. So he equated his laws to the law of God and he called himself the King of Kings. I can give you this favour, and I can remove this favour. Now, I'm not sure how much King Artaxerxes listened to God and how much God had moved him, but with the hindsight of some 2,500 years, we can now see clearly the hand of God upon Babylonia, upon Ezra and Nehemiah and the nation of Israel. The hand of God who made all things, including this megalomaniacal king's agenda, to work for good for those who love Him and for those who are called according to His purpose. It's a, a a, 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 an anecdotal evidence of Romans chapter 8, verse 28, right? God works together for good to those who love Him. But you have to ask why Ezra? I mean, there must be other people, other Jewish leaders, but why Ezra? And I believe... The answer is found in verse 6. Ezra chapter 7, verse 6. This Ezra went up from Babylonia. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. And the king granted him all that he asked for the hand of the Lord, his God, was on him. The king granted him favor because the hand of the Lord God was on him. Why was the hand of the Lord God on him? Because he was skilled in the law of Moses. In verse 10, in chapter 7, it says, For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord, to do it, and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. The hand of God was on Ezra because the word of God was in Ezra. And it wasn't so much that King Artaxerxes chose Ezra. I believe it was God who chose Ezra. And it was God's agenda all along. And his agenda was that his people would be restored. A people who had lost sight of their eternal future and priorities. How did Haggai, the prophet, put it? They were a people who built paneled houses, but whose house of corporate worship was in ruins, abandoned for 18 years. It was a people who worked, who invested, but who harvested little, who wore trendy clothes but never felt warm, who earned wages but it leaked away like they have holes in their wallets. It sounds exactly like Jesus' assessment of a church, one of the seven churches in Laodicea, where Jesus says in Revelation chapter 3, verse 17, For you say, I am rich, (coughs) I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. You know, just as Ezra saw much favor and success in all that he did because the hand of the Lord was on him, the people of Israel harvested little, had no warmth, They had money that leaked out of their wallets also because of the hand of the Lord was on them. And it took the Word of God or a prophet of God like Haggai to show them how wretched they were. You know that in many parts of the Scripture, this phrase is written that the hand of the Lord was against the people. The hand of the Lord was heavy upon Some people, and every time that happens, it was because the people had become proud. Perhaps they live in nice houses, paneled houses, they planted, they invested, they had money, but there was only one outcome. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And Ezra himself could easily. Have fallen into this trap of pride because he seemed to have all the earthly successes, and he had this earthly godfather in King Artaxerxes, and all Ezra had to do was hard think, hard think, and things succeed. 心想事成, okay, in Cantonese, ah, uh, 心想事成的 is a wish that you wish people during Chinese New Year. You just have to think about it, and it works for you. But what did Ezra do instead when everything was going so well for him? Ezra chapter 8 from verse 21 says, Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God, to seek from Him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and all our goods. For I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers, and horsemen to protect us against our enemies on our way, since we had told the king, the hand of our God is for good on all who seek Him, and the, and the power of His wrath is against all who forsake Him. So we fasted and implored our God for this, and He listened to our entreaty. It's so true, isn't it? 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, I mentioned, For God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. And then verse 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he exalts you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Last week my ex-boss, or could it be my ex ex, not as in triple X, but previous, previous, previous boss, humbled himself under the mighty hand of God and he was at me. Wanting to meet me after how long? 22 years, 22 years I have not seen him. 22 years ago, I quit the job when I couldn't stand his ways and I was full of confidence that I would get another job easily. And then the hand of God was heavy upon me as I entered six months of joblessness. Why? Because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So 22 years later, this ex-boss, ex now a Christian, extended his hand of fellowship to me. Why? Because the hand of God was on him. And he even wrote in a WhatsApp message, "I, I am seeking your forgiveness for my bad behavior in those years. Of course we met, of course I forgave him, whatever it was that bothered me so much that 22 years ago, now I cannot recall why I felt such extreme angst in those days. And I too sought his forgiveness for causing him grief. I mean, my sudden resignation would have like be a, 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 a blemish on, uh, on him. And then he revealed to me that actually in 2001, I had reached out to him and I had forgotten it. And he said, and I quote, Thanks also for encouraging me with the words of Jeremiah. and I, I think I said something like, uh, what is it? Jeremiah, That uh, I, pl- I plan for you to prosper you, not to harm you. You know that verse? Shows how bad my memory is, right? It says, thank you also for encouraging me with the words of Jeremiah when I fell from my secular pinnacle. He was CEO of some big listed company then. So the hand of God was heavy upon him in 2001 when he fell from his secular pinnacle. He was at the height of his career. And then he said, I, I admire your devotion to God and you remind me of the following verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 from verse 8 to 10. He says, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. And he concluded, the peace of our Lord be with you. Amen. And his phrase is so precious to me. The peace of our Lord be with you. Amen. So isn't it beautiful when you practice what Jesus preached? It's so simple. God is wise. His ways are perfect. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. What God says we obey, and beauty and peace comes out of it. It's, it's as simple as saying, what God says not to do, we dare not do. What God says to do, we dare not not do. It's as simple as this. And it's just <coughs> a reflection of Matthew chapter 5 from verse 22. It says, But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Does that scare you? Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says, you fool or you idiot will be liable to the hell of fire. So, if you are offering your gift at the altar in the red bag or the blue bag and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Simple, right? No need for expository preaching or exegesis of the word. My ex-ex-boss obeyed it. Okay, it took him 22 years. It also took me six years, you know, from quitting the job in 1995 to reaching out to him in 2001. So let's not take so long. <laughs> let's not take so long, six years, 22 years. Let's not take so long to seek and to offer forgiveness, to seek reconciliation? Otherwise, could it be that the hand of God might be heavy upon us? Another time when the hand of God was heavy upon me, was over me giving a false testimony. I had broken one of the Ten Commandments when I lied to the military authorities about not having asthma. You know, in every form that I had to fill in where they asked you, do you have TB or asthma or this, I tick, 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 negative. Every time an official or the doctor asked me, do you have asthma, I said no. And the hand of God was heavy upon me for four years until I decided to come clean. I think many of us know, know their story because I tell it like an old man or like a broken record, right? You all know that story. So, brothers and sisters, is there some untruth? Is there some uncleanness in our lives? Confront it. To be holy as God is holy. And and holiness isn't really complicated at all. Obedience to God's Word isn't really complicated at all. But very often, we make it so. You know, it's it's like the story of... uh, Um, the writer of Sherlock Holmes, who is he? Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. And he told this story about himself, that one day, actually, it's it's, it's not a true story. He made this up, okay? Um, One day, he said he was outside uh, in a a railway station in Paris, in France, waiting for a taxi. And then a taxi pulled up, and uh, straight away, the taxi driver says, where can I bring you, Mr. Doyle? And then he was shocked. He's like, how did you know my name? How did you know that I was Arthur Conan Doyle? And he asked the driver, do you know me? The driver says, I do not know you. In fact, I've never seen you before, sir. Now, how did you know my name? And the driver replied, well, today's newspaper had an article about you being on vacation in Marseille, which is the south of France. And now this is in Paris. And this is the taxi stand that the people who come from Marseille uses. Your skin color tells me that you're on vacation, you know, the Angmo. mo. <laughs> when, when they're out in the sun, they turn uh, very red. And, and the ink spot on your right index finger suggests that you are an author. And your clothing is English. And add all this up, I surmise that you are Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. <laughs> Mr. Doyle says, This is amazing! You are a real-life Sherlock Holmes! And then the taxi driver said, By the way, I also saw the name on your suitcase. <laughs> it's simple! God's Word is not on the suitcase, but God's Word is in the Bible. It's simple! 2 <laughs> Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, All Scripture is Breathe out by God, and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Elder Benny referred to this last week. You know, when I sometimes preach a message of rebuke, which isn't all that often because I try more to be encouraging, when I preach a message of rebuke, I almost always get good feedback. Like, good job, pastor. Preach it, pastor. Give them a good whack, pastor. That rebuke was so timely and necessary from my neighbour. And I come across this recently in the wake of uh, Billy Graham's death. And this was one of his sayings from long ago. It says, it is the Holy Spirit's job to convict, God's job to judge, and my job to love. And some wise crack added, the problem is we want to do all three jobs. And isn't that true? That we can see or we can convict people of sin so easily. We judge so easily, but we don't see our own faults. Let's come back to the story of Ezra. The hand of God was on him. Everything went well for him. He sounded like he was healthy and he was wealthy. Indeed, he was. So was that health and well teaching? I discussed this with someone over lunch last week and he said something like this. Yes, the hand of God was on Ezra. Yes, all the good things happened to Ezra. Full stop. It was descriptive of something that happened to Ezra but it is not necessarily, in fact, it is not normative and it is not a doctrine that the hand of God on you doesn't mean that everything goes well for you in the earthly sense, that you are healthy and wealthy, you have no cancer, uh, you have a king or a job or a business that gives you so much until you are ashamed to ask for more. And like a Canadian doctor, you say, oh, stop, 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 stop. Don't pay me. Don't pay me more. Or even that if you fast and pray, you will be rich and healthy. Let me add this verse. Hebrews chapter 10 Verse 31 says, it, it, a fearf- it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Again, the hands of God. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you can say that after you became a Christian, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partner- partners with those So treated. For you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. The the lesson is much deeper. After enlightenment, after you have placed your faith in God, you had a hard struggle with sufferings, but continue to be confident. Of God, don't throw it away, even if you had a hard struggle with suffering, and it may look like everything was hunky-dory with, with Ezra. But that's only chapter seven and eight. Go on, read beyond chapter seven and eight, and next week we will talk about that. In fact, it was so hard, so frustrating for Ezra that he was pulling out his hair, pulling out his beard in the next few chapters. And Pastor Jiming will have the joy of explaining the theology of pulling out your hair next week. But to me, the key verse for Ezra for me is really in chapter 7, verse 10, where Ezra has said it's hard to study the Word of God, to study the law of God, to do it and to teach it. The hand of God was on Ezra because the Word of God was in Ezra. You know, most people, many people like to study the Word of God and we have no end of seminars in Singapore. In fact, this week is... Uh, it's particularly heavy all kinds of Christian conferences in Singapore and in precepts and BSF and all that. But not so many people do the Word of God, like Ezra. Especially the simple parts concerning holiness, like simply obeying the commandments, confession, forgiveness. And let's still teach the Word, of, Word or want to teach the Word of God. Many of us say, whoa, 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 I'm not a teacher of the Word of God, but can I say that all of us are teachers of the Word of God because we are on display. We are on display before an unbelieving world who will not read the Word of God, but but will observe those who do or don't do the Word of God. They read not the Word, but they read the worshiper. They see the works of those who study the Word, And like it or not, you are teaching the Word of God. Is the hand of God on you? To answer that question, we first have to ask another one. Is the Word of God in you? Elder Benny gave a very good sermon, I thought, last Sunday about hiding the Word of God in our hearts. And, you know, I'm terrible at memorizing Scripture, so I don't think it is about rote memory of the verses. But you remember better when you obey. It's about saturating yourselves with the Word of God morning, day, and night, that the hand of God might be on you because the Word of God is in you. For Ezra has set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach it. Benny talked about internalizing the Word of God. Here's another one in Psalm 119 from verse 98. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimony are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamb to my feet and a light to my path. When you have the word of God in you, the hand of God will be on you and you will be wise. You will be more, you have more understanding than the aged and the aged. And can it be that people in the second service who are by and large younger will have more understanding than us here in the first service? It would be if the Word of God is in you. What kind of image do you have when you think about the hand of God? You know, when I think about this, I, I, immediately you get an image like this. You know, the Michelangelo, uh, this is painted on the Sistine Chapel in, in Rome. Uh, The hand of God touching Adam, who is a fully formed Adam and not a baby Adam, right? Uh, What about the hand of God holding the whole world like this? But strangely enough, if you Google the hand of God, what do you get? You get this. You get Maradona in, uh, when is it, 1986, World Cup against England, where he handballed and he lied about it and he was proud that he lied about it because the referee didn't see it. Just crazy, right? The hand of God is now referred to this. But when I think about hand of God, I think about this. Um, This is my younger son holding the hand of grandpa as a baby, and then I thought I'd take a picture. This was like last year, uh, trying to replicate uh, that. Um, I cannot find a picture of me holding my son's hands, not because they are not obedient, but because usually I'm the one with the camera. <coughs> you know, all last week, I, I couldn't get this song out of my mind. What is the song? Put your hand in the hand of the man who still the waters. Okay, we're not going to sing it because the worship team says, very unfamiliar. Eh? 1971, they were not born yet. <laughs> Okay, so we're not going to sing it. But this tune just came to my mind uh, all the time. Yeah, just invite the worship team to, to start coming and we we'll prepare to close. When I think of God, I think of Neil Pierce hands. Of him who promised that he will never leave us, he will never forsake us. Through what on earth might be good times or bad times, I think of Moses' last words which are captured here in Deuteronomy 33 verse 22. The eternal God is your dwelling place and underneath are the everlasting arms. I think of the phrase, safe in the arms of Jesus. And then I Google because I hear this, I use this so often, but I didn't know that it came from a hymn writer, Fanny Crosby. Uh, I'm almost 60 now, now I find out. So it's like, right? You keep learning and learning that this safe in the arms of Jesus were from a hymn written long, long time ago. You know, we think of all those sweet and maybe even sentimental images of the hand of God carrying us, supporting us. And not incorrect, it's just incomplete. Why don't we look at our hands? Our hands are they hands of obedience? Holy human hands place in a hand. Ezra, God's agenda was to restore a people. How do you restore a people? You restore them back to obedience to the Word. We study the Word of God, we do the Word of God, we teach or we demonstrate the Word. How? Simply like an obedient child holding on to the hand and putting our hand in the hand of the man who still waters, in the hand of a holy Father whose hands were pierced, whose hands touched lepers, whose hands healed, whose hands blessed. Would you stretch out your hand in faith today to say, yes, I will study the Word of God, but not just that, I will do the Word of God. I will obey the Word of God and I will teach the world by the works that come from the word have you lied have you bore false testimony like I had make it right it's very simple do you need to seek forgiveness or grant forgiveness the word says do it do it make it right and you've broken any of the ten commandments repent put it right it's very simple that's how we are restored it's simple but it's not easy and so we seek God's helping hand. We seek a helping hand from the family of God around us here. To, to pray in response, and I pray that God would have touched your heart with respect to especially lying, especially seeking and granting of forgiveness, especially to the reckoning of the 10 commandments. Have we have we honoured our father and our mother? And recently I heard from someone, I think he was visiting somebody in Teban Gardens and And the old lady says, Oh yeah, Chinese New Year, I see my grandchildren once a year. I say, how can that be? How can that be? My my father sees his grandchildren twice a week. And and that's because we make an effort too. I say, how can it be? Would it be honoring your father and mother if of a member of the family of God here? and as like a prophetic act in inverted commas, the hand in the hand of someone. You know, I know what it feels like whenever a preacher says, oh, hold hands. And especially dying men, we have no inhibitions. It's like, really, say, oh, when I visit and then, then we say, oh, let's be together, and immediately they will stretch out their hands and hold my hands to pray. We have no Im- inhibitions. We are dying. And we pray, we pray for God's healing, we pray for God's comfort. If you want to hold your own hands in prayer, also can. You don't like people to hold your hands, never mind. Just hold your hands and imagine you're holding God's hands. And we pray. Singing song together. Would you let someone pray with you? But for the guys here, I have one concession. You don't like to hold hands with your own hands. We do a bro handshake, I learned. Bro handshake. Okay, you don't have those muscles, never mind. But like that one. Okay. We
1: do this.
0: Okay. I can come pray with you and we do a bro handshake and we pray. We hold someone's hands as we hold the hand of God. So find strength. We pray, we find strength in God to study the Word to do His Word, to do His will. And naturally, we are teaching someone. Also, a prayer of study the Word, to do His will, no matter what. Trust in God's wisdom, that He is wise. You follow Him, you can't go wrong. So why don't we stand? Father who wants to mould us, shape us, or perhaps reshape us if we have gone away from Him. And so this morning, I want to ask that we rededicate our lives to Him. That if there was some area that has gone out of whack, come back. God's ways are best. It might be Difficult, scary even, to right a wrong, to come clean. But God's ways are always best, perfect ways. And so we come to the altar to confess, to seek strength, to surround ourselves with brothers and sisters who would pray with us and journey with us through whatever difficulty that we might be going through whatever wrong that we need to put right it's simple but it's not easy and so we need the hand of God we need to bow and say God you walk with me through this to come back to your perfect will so this is what we want to do I'm going to leave the altar open I'm going to close in prayer if you wish for myself or a pastor to pray with you, would you come? Would you seek help? Would you seek the Father's hand so that the good hand of the Lord might be upon you? The hand of the Lord who opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So would you submit yourself under the mighty hand of God? Father God, we thank you for your turn to you, God. We turn that you, the good potter, the good, good father, might place your hand upon us. Would you shape us, help us, mold us, that we might study your word and do it and teach it that an unbelieving world and an unbelieving family, unbelieving colleagues in office might see the Word of God being lived out through our lives, and who would one day turn and place that same faith and trust in you, that you are the good, good Father, that you have a good hand, and that your good hand might be upon us. And this we pray in Jesus' name.